You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Holy Heavenly Father, we are so glad that we can be here today for this is a day that you have made. And you have called us and empowered us to rejoice and be glad in you and in one another and just in it. Help us to be present here today, to hear from you and to receive from you what it is you have. To speak to us. It is also a day that is marked with a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East. Violence, oppression, calls to war. Um, Lord, we pray against the violence. We pray against those who would do harm to innocent people, to women and children. We pray against those who would seek to create more orphans and widows. We pray against the violence. We pray for peace. You are the Prince of Peace. We are your people of peace. We pray that peace would flood that place, that there would be not just an absence of conflict, but a presence of your justice, of your shalom, of your presence. We pray against anyone who wants to rile up more and more violence against people made in your image and in your likeness. Help us to be aware. Help us to find ways to be helpful when they are present and available to us. Help us to be in prayer. Ultimately, Jesus, we're so grateful for the way in which you have called us together as a body to bear witness to the good kingdom that you have for every human on earth. And we pray that our witness and the witnesses of those in the Middle East and all across the world would cry out against the violence and would bear witness to the goodness that you desire for all people, that all people would come to a saving knowledge of you. We give you praise and thanks, and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. We are in a series called After Life. After Life? After Life. I don't even got bad news for you. I just want to sum up what we've been talking about. No bad news for you today as far as it comes from sermon. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them. I'm going to do something a little different. This sermon series. So I do want your questions and comments. Here's what we did last week. I'll tell you what we're doing differently in a second. Here's what we did last week. Last week we talked about mystery and how there's just a ton of the afterlife that is mystery. There's just a lot we won't know. We need to make peace with that because if we don't make peace with that, we're going to look for answers in places where there aren't answers, and that's going to cause us to follow people who are willing to make up answers. So bad faith actors who are willing to tell you things that are impossible to know, un or impossible to know, whatever one you like better. We talked about how, yes, there is a concept of what we know as heaven as real. That when you die in the Lord before Jesus returns, you get to go to a place, if you are in Christ, to be with Christ. And ultimately, we called for, what do we do? Less speculation, more preparation. 
This has been the mantra of, of our tradition for a long time. We've tried very hard to not speculate, to not say any more than God's word already says, and spend most of our time making sure we're ready for that crossover into the great beyond. Next week, oh, that's not true. I gave you a diagram. So this is what we said the biblical picture of, of heaven looks like if you die in the Lord before Jesus returns. There's a place where everybody goes. The old, the Hebrews called it Sheol. Those Greek-speaking Jews and Christians and uh, Greeks called it Hades. And then there's a place within that called paradise. Remember when, when Jesus to the thief on the cross says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. There's a place. Paul just calls it with Christ. He says, I can't go, I can't wait to go be with Christ. That's what he calls it. He calls it with Christ. We call it heaven, and I'm going to let you call it heaven. I'm not going to correct anyone. When the Bible says heaven, they're not really talking about that specific thing, but I'm going to let you call it that because that's what we call it. But I just don't want you to have the same image that your culture has given you on a cloud with a robe playing a harp bored out of your gourd. You know what I mean? Like we're not, it's different than that. And then Christ returns, and he brings all of that into what the Bible really wants to talk about, which is uh, new creation and resurrection. The new creation part of humanity is called resurrection. That's what we are going to be talking about today. So next week, we're going to be talking about heaven and new creation. We're going to be talking about hell. We're going to be talking about things that we don't believe that maybe are common beliefs within our society. Week four, I'd love to have a Q&A Sunday. All of your questions, for better or for worse, Bring them all. I've been getting some good ones. Please send them. Otherwise, I'm going to be awkwardly trying to fill some space that day. I would love any questions that you have on the topic. We can digest them. And then week five, we told you it's Candy Palooza All Saints Day. And I'll be talking to you more about what we're going to be doing that day. But mostly remembering those who have passed on. Today, we are talking about the return of Christ. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ. And we are talking about judgment. Judgment. Real fun day. As we said, here is our timeline. I gave you a timeline of events because sometimes I think that's helpful to have an overall picture of what it is that every Christian has believed since the dawn of Christianity without filling in too much gaps with speculation. This is what we said. We said that you are alive and that you will die probably. That's what we said. There's a good chance you will be dead. I say probably, and we're going to read the verse today, because if Jesus returns, you don't die. If he shows up right now, Lord, come. If he shows up right now, you get to skip the dying part, which is great. Good for you. Soon as Jesus returns, resurrection. And then, <clears throat> soon as Jesus comes, resurrection. People turn resurrected. Creation turns into new creation. And then we enter into a space of judgment. And then, based on... Uh, what we're going to talk about today, you get, there's two opportunities for you. You get, to, you, you get to be a part of that decision-making ability. Are you going towards reward, or are you going towards separation from God? That's what every Christian has believed from the beginning. Some people want to fill in stuff, and they want to add other things and details, and it gets real difficult real quick 
but this is what uh, Christianity has said from the beginning. We are going to read a passage today. If you have scriptures, bust them out. People were complaining to me this week, though, that the text is really small, so maybe this doesn't work for you. I also have some really small text on the screen. If you like small text up there, we can do that, too. If we need to get bigger text Bible, we can do that, too. 1 Corinthians 15 is the most important passage in scripture when it comes to what the Bible wants to describe to you as the next part, evolution of what Jesus is up to. The first seven verses are incredible because you get one of the most succinct um, summarizations of the gospel, of what the gospel is. It is also one of the longest chapters, so unfortunately I don't have time to read that to you today, but I do suggest that you get into it all the way. I'm starting in verse 20, which is uh, page 879, and when we're going to jump down to verse 50. I'm not trying to hide anything for you. It really is just for time's sake. But this is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. Since death came through a human being, Adam, the resurrection of the dead came through one too, Jesus. In the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so also everyone will be given life in Christ. Each event will happen in the right order. Remember that timeline I gave you. Christ, Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago. The first crop of the harvest then those who belong to Christ at his coming, that's us, and then the end, when Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he brings every form of rule and every authority and power to end, it is necessary for Jesus to rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be brought to the end. Not Satan. Death is God's great enemy and the last one to be put to an end since he has brought everything under, under control, under Jesus' feet. Will you flip with me over to 50? One whole page over. Paul says, 50. This is what I am saying. I lost my page. I'm getting I'm animated. I love this chapter so much. This is what I'm saying. Brothers and sisters, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. Something that rots our present bodies, falling apart, can't inherit something that doesn't rot and decay. Listen, I'm telling you a secret. I've had dreams about this verse. This is how much I love this verse. I listen, he said, listen, and pull in, pulls in close. I'm telling you a secret. All of us won't die, but we will be changed in an instant. In the twinkling of an eye, at the final trumpet, the trumpet will blast and the dead will be raised with bodies that won't decay and we will be changed. It's necessary for the rotting body to be clothed with what can't decay and for the body that is dying to be clothed in what can't die. And when the rotting body has been clothed in what can't decay and the dying body has been clothed in what can't die, then this statement in scripture will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting, O death? Death sting is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Great. That is uh, the word of the Lord for the people of God today. As always, I preach three points, something for us to know. What are we going to experience or feel? And what should we do with all that we just read? What's the, you know, what's the 
impetus? What is the command? What is the push? How should we live differently in light of the knowledge and the experience? So I always ask those questions. What does God want us to know, feel, and do? And for me, what does God want us to know? Is that Christ's coming is certain and confirmed. This is something that every Christian has believed since the beginning, that Christ is coming again. We are talking about return, resurrection, and judgment today. And what the Bible wants you to know is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We don't believe this based on prophecies or predictions. This is a promise. This is a promise for God that you can take all the way to the bank, that Christ will return again. Paul just said in the passage that we read, you might have missed it. I might have skipped it. I'm not sure. But he said, Christ at his coming, just just briefly. Everything must happen in this order. He says, Christ at his coming. Christ is coming. Do I have a thousand more verses for you? Yes, I do. And I have, could put a thousand more here, but these are the ones that I wanted to just kind of emphasize quickly. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, they will see me, the son of man, coming in heavenly clouds with power and great splendor. Revelation 1.7, Jesus says, look, Jesus is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. This is so, amen. You put an amen at the this is so, that is a confirmed, certain promise of God. He, uh, Titus, we wait for the blessed hope. My son got nervous for a second there. Right? <laughs> we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 says, Jesus will, will appear a second time, not to take away sin like he did the first time, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus is coming. It is not prophecy or a prediction or a speculation. It is God's promise. You can take it all the way to the bank. It's certain and confirmed. In fact, it's so certain that for Christians, the question has always been not if, but when. And that's the question that gets everybody in trouble. Because Jesus says, I, even I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to return. But man, Christians love to guess because that's how certain it is. I'm hoping we could take away a lesson from some bad guessers about the certainty of Christ's return, even though they were wrong, and you shouldn't listen to anyone who gives you any kind of prediction about when Jesus is coming back. But, that, but that's how certain the return of Christ is, is that people weren't talking about if, they're always talking about when. This is Pope Sylvester II, yeah, there were two Pope Sylvester's. He took reign in the year 999. They're getting ready to flip to a new millennium. They were juiced. Let me tell you about Sylvester first. The man was brilliant. The first French Pope, a genius. He brought numbers to Europe, like the numbers that we use now. Um, he brought the decimal system to there. Uh, he invented machines that ran based on, on water. Like, he was incredibly gifted in that. They credit him with the first mechanical clock. He was brilliant in philosophy and mathematics and theology. The man has a very long legend 
of battering most of Europe. But what he's mostly known for is that when he took the reign in 999, he said, in the year 1000, Jesus is coming back. The Pope said that. He said that Jesus is coming back next year. And everyone was like, well, if the Pope says that, these are illiterate serfs, right? They have no idea what's going on. They're like, the Pope, this is the smartest guy we've ever seen in our whole lives. And he's the Pope. He speaks for Christ on earth, apparently, according to them. And he says, oh, Jesus is coming back next year. And they were like, well, let's get ready. People sold everything they had. They came to Rome. The Pope did a midnight mass on, on New Year's Eve, December 31st. They stayed up all day. I hope the attention is building, but you already know that Jesus didn't return, right? That's, that's it. <laughs> What's going to happen? Nothing happened. And riots happened is what happened. People were livid. They were so mad, of course. The Pope for Catholics, the most, this is before the split. This is the leader of the entire Christian world, East and West, just told you that Jesus is coming back. And you thought it was real. And so the Pope comes out that day on January 1st, and he goes, hold up, my bad. Hold up, listen, hold up. Hold up, my bad. I thought it was a thousand years since Jesus was born, but maybe it was a thousand years since Jesus died. My new prediction is 1033. Also, I'll be long dead before that happens. <laughs> he died three years later. More close to home, the biggest prediction in, in, in America, in North America, happened in 1844. They're called the Millerites or Millerism. This guy was a really successful farmer and good at math. He read some prophecy in the book of Daniel. It said in 23,000 days, Jesus would return. He went, maybe days or years. That's what he, he's like, days or years. I was like, okay, brother. He just flips it. 20, no, not 23,000, 2,300, I'm sorry. He said 2,300 days, Jesus will return. He said maybe days or years. 2,300 plus the time that he thought Daniel had written that. He did the math, punched a few numbers. He's like, it's 1844, October 22nd. Thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of people gathered together on October 22nd for the end of the world. This is a newspaper clipping. Stayed up all night, couldn't wearing white robes, just like if that was going to mean anything. Just put on some white clothes, as if Jesus can't see all the way into your heart. It's like, no, 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 look, it's white, it's pure, I'm good. <laughs> Jesus didn't come, just to break your hearts. They called it the great disappointment. A bunch of people stood up, yeah, look it up, called the great disappointment. A bunch of people stood up and they came up with a bunch of reasons and a couple of them people found compelling. They were like, maybe it was a heavenly action. That always happens when someone makes a prediction. Something major shifted in heaven. That's what it was. We got the thing wrong. One guy stood up and said, the reason Jesus didn't return is because we stopped worshiping on Saturdays like the ancient Jews did, even though Christians have been worshiping on Sundays since literally Jesus raised from the dead. He's like, we got it wrong. We were supposed to worship on Saturdays. Jesus didn't come back because he's mad at us. 
Oh, sorry, there's a picture, a callback, somebody. They're on the rooftops. So somebody said, it's because we didn't worship on Saturday. We need to start worshiping on Saturdays. And this is where the Seventh-day Adventist church came from, if you know. We got one down here. Adventist has to do with the return of Christ. Advent, the return, the coming back. Lovely people, we love the Seventh-day Adventists. But this is where they're birthed out of. This is how monumental and important that was. And then seventh day was, Saturday is the seventh day. Sunday is the first day. And they're like, we need to, st- if we want Jesus to come back, we've got to start worshiping on Saturdays. And they did. Lovely people. They let us use their churches on Sundays. They're like, we do not need these on Sundays. You can use them. We're like, okay, thanks. Um, great hospitals. Lovely people. But this is where it's birthed out of. This is how impactful that Millerism prediction was. And I say all that because, really, genuinely, this is how certain Christ's return was for Christians and is and should be for us. Not a matter of if, but when. And sometimes people go overboard on the when. But it is certain. The question for Christians has never been if Christ returns, when. The answer is, of course, we don't know. Don't listen to any human being that tries to tell you. But Jesus is coming. The lesson we can learn is that Christ's return is certain. Return, resurrection, judgment. What does Jesus want you to experience? What is that experience going to be when we get to resurrection? Right? If you die before Jesus returns, we get to be a part of a spiritual community if we are in Christ, in paradise, with Christ, and the angels, and the saints that have gone before. But once Christ's return, immediately humanity becomes resurrected. And so Paul says over and over again these three C words. Clothed, changed, crop. That's what he says. He wants you to know that you're going to be clothed and changed with Jesus as the first crop. What does all that mean? Let's, I just want to prove it to you just out of the scripture we read. Jesus is the first crop of the harvest. Christ is the first crop of the harvest. You are going to be changed, raised with bodies, the dead will be. Changed, you're going to be clothed, be clothed, been clothed, been clothed, been clothed in what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he is trying to tell you the experience is going to be like. Change, clothe, first crop, the three C's. Change, clothes, first crop. Remember, he said, I'm going to tell you a secret. Not all of us will die, but all of us will be changed. It is a total transformation. And he goes on and on and on about how you have a body right now that is falling apart and will decay and rot, and it's prone to sickness and disease and being broken, falling apart. Uh, But that's all going to change. You're going to get a new body that can't do any of that stuff. And that has been the hope of Christianity for 2,000 years and Jews for 2,000 years before that. This is radical in the world of religion. No other religion is talking about new bodies. No other religion. And what's it like? He says it's like you're putting on new clothes. You're raised with your body, but it's like putting on new clothes. I love putting on new clothes. Mm. Just fresh clean. You got that new clothes smell. Sorry about the microphones. It's like being clothed, he says. We're being clothed with Christ. We're putting on something that's brand new, new clothes. But I think the thing behind that he's trying to convey, the experience that he, 
It's you. It's you. You are you. And Alice is going to be Alice. Julianne's going to be Julianne. That's a question I get a lot. It's like, are we going to know each other? Yeah, it's you. You're just putting on, you're exchanging. You're changing clothes from one that can fall all the way apart to literal dust to one that can't ever. You're you with some new drip. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That never falls apart. And then he goes on and on about this first crop thing because everyone has questions like, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? What's it gonna... Jesus' resurrection on Easter 2,000 years ago is what your resurrection is going to be like when Jesus returns. He's the first crop of the harvest. So whatever Jesus did, we're going to get to do. That's what first crop means. And just to help you, I looked up some of the stuff about crops going on in our community. First of all, who has the best peaches? It's California. Forget about those Georgia peaches. They're garbage. They're trash. (laughs) The greatest state in the union produces the greatest peaches. It's literally in the news. Continues to lead the U.S. peach harvest. Of course we do. And guess what? This year's peaches that have come in, delicious. The first crop of the harvest tells you about the rest of the crop. They are excited. Can I tell you some more? Harvest is in full swing with the ranch processing almonds and walnuts. I got bad news about walnuts. They're disgusting. But also, (laughs) and for that reason, the market's not doing hot. So... You put almonds and walnuts there. So anyone who chooses walnuts over almonds, come talk to me. I got to pray. I got to exercise you. Almonds are like, I don't know, a thousand times better. It is not almonds. I've seen the commercial. They're not like almond joy. They don't say that. They don't say almond joy. It's almond joy. Um... Almonds are crushing. The first harvest looks good. They are so excited. We've had enough water. And when the first harvest looks good, the first crop of the harvest, it's a good prediction. The rest is going to be good. I got one more. The rice looks incredible. They are juiced. I watched this whole interview about this guy. Shore, Ryan Shore, he's smiling the whole way through. He uses the word like exuberance. He's like, there's been an optimistic exuberance among the farming community this year. I'm like, yeah. He's cheesing, grinning all the way ear to ear because the rice, the first crop, he's like, we just started. We got started a little late because of some of the rains, but it looks incredible. He says, so good. You might get some cheaper rice come winter, he says. That's how good things are. The first crop predicts the rest of the crop, and they are juiced. And this is what Paul is trying to convey to us about our own resurrections. The first crop tells about the rest of the harvest. What happens to Jesus on Easter morning is what will happen to us. What Jesus does after Easter, we will be able to do too. And there aren't very many stories of Jesus post-Easter, but he does some really cool stuff. First of all, people touch him. He eats food. He also flies and walks through walls. It is going to be incredible. Can never 
die, spoil, rot, fade again, a new body. He got it as the first crop of what we can all expect. This is the goal of the whole story for humans. This is what Paul in that chapter does not want to talk about heaven as we think about it at all. He wants to talk entirely about this, entirely about this. So don't, this is, I don't want you to have this picture. It's not the picture I want us to have. It says, wish I'd brought a magazine, right? Because sometimes people ask me that genuine, they're like, I'm not sure I want to sing for 10,000 years, like they say at the end of Amazing Grace. They're like, I'm not a very good singer. I'm like, you'll be better. After 10,000 years, you'll get better. But this isn't the picture that Paul's talking to us about. For me, it's like superhero stuff. It's like this for me. It's like, I can't wait. I'm going to fly all around the universe. I'm going to be checking all kinds of stuff out. Maybe even if there are suns, I'm going to be walking on them because it can't break. It can't get burned up. And so it's more like this than that last thing. You're not sitting on a cloud. You're just exploring the cosmos, getting to be with Jesus forever. It's going to be lovely, lovely. And just so you know that this isn't James making up some kooky stuff, because I know sometimes I get a reputation. There were three creeds in Christianity. Creeds are the thing. The church came together, and they summarized the things that we want everyone to believe. And all three of them say what I just told you. This is called the Athanasian Creed. At Jesus' coming, all people will rise again in their bodies. This is the faith, which unless a person believed truly and firmly, they cannot be saved. There's more to it before that, but that's part. Nicene Creed, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Lastly, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body, our body, and the life of the world to come. All three of the most important summarizations of our faith include what we talk about. This is what everyone was looking forward to. Who gets resurrected? Is it only good people? Is it everyone? That's often a question. It's everyone. Paul is on trial at the end of the book of Acts, getting ready to be martyred, and he says, I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. He says, the whole reason I'm on trial is because I have hope in the resurrection. The hope I have in God, I also share with my accusers. So he's like, I don't know why they're mad at me. I believe what they believe, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Is there a third group of people? No, you get one of those. You're one of those, righteous or unrighteous. Everyone gets resurrected. Everyone gets new bodies. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And then we head into judgment. So our question should be, how do we get, end up on the righteous side? That should be your question. How do I make sure I'm on the right side of the judgment? And this is what scripture tells us. What do we do? How do we end up on the righteous side of judgment? The life we live determines the judgment we receive. The life we live determines the judgment we receive. Let's get into it. I think though sometimes we have a misplaced understanding of what this means when we talk about judgment. This is probably the most famous picture of judgment in our society. Blind, right? Scales. We think we're piling good things or bad things, and then Jesus is going to look at the scale and go, ah, more good things, come on in, and that's not at all what Scripture teaches us. This is, Jesus is not blind. He sees everything. 
all the time and we'll uncover all of it when judgment comes. And it's not about you weighing good things versus bad things. That's not how you get in. That's not the entry fee into new creation. I got a short video clip from a wildly popular show on Hulu. I loved it, but it's not Christian. So please hear me when I, I'm not recommending it as, I'm, I'm giving you an example of what we commonly believe that that's not true. It's called The Good Place. I love it. And away we go. Uh, hello, everyone. And welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all Simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares? No one's watching. We were watching. Surprise. <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here, to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. And you won't be alone. So welcome to eternal happiness. Welcome to the good place. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. You know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel every day. I love the show. That's not God's word, right? But we have a lot of people who believe this, and I'm and no denigration. This is what our society has taught us. We are inheriting the beliefs that our society teaches. But I'm here to let you know that that, that is not an accurate view of what judgment looks like. It's not a point system. You're not trying to tip the scales in your favor. There is no redemptive work that you can do at the end of your life to try to make it in the place that you want to go. It's not how it goes, even though every movie kind of teaches that. There's a lot of people who believe that. There's a lot of religions that teach that. This is not what God's word says to us. Jesus' word says to us, Jesus specifically says to us, places like John 12, whoever rejects me and doesn't receive my words will be judged at the last day by the word that I have spoken. In Christianity, we believe that God's new creation and resurrection and heaven is a gift that we receive from Christ by being with Christ. Your eternity is determined based on your relationship to Jesus, not your good works, not anything that you've earned, not any way that you can try to tip the scale. It has everything to do with your connection, closeness, proximity to, relationship with, and faith in Christ. That's it. Jesus says, I am the way. It's about being near Jesus. You have to know someone to get in. And unfortunately, that person you have to know is Jesus, right? 
It's not a, you can't pay your way in, you can't earn your way in. You got to know the person who's doing the judging of all of humanity, and he's going to go, this one's mine, and I don't know this one. And the ones that he knows, welcome. And we'll talk about what happens to everybody else next week. Don't worry about them, Ted Danson says. We rise to the resurrection of the righteous by our faith in Christ. Does that mean your actions don't matter? So we rise to the resurrection of the righteous by our faith in Christ, and Jesus has very high expectations for his followers. You can't be a jerk. Okay, listen. Because if you're truly, nearly, honestly with Jesus, you are going to be changed. And if you walk around being like, I know Jesus, and you treat everyone horribly, the fruit doesn't match the roots, right? The fruit of your tree does not bear uh, according to being planted in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has some expectations about your actions that he's going to be talking to you about when you get to judgment. Can't be abusive, can't be uncompassionate, can't be unkind, you can't be a jerk. Just a few verses, I'm wrapping up. Jesus says to us, I tell you, I tell you that people will have to answer on judgment day for every careless, useless word that they spoke. So what's judgment going to be? If Jesus recognizes you, he's going to be talking to you about your words. So that's one of the things that we can do. Jesus wants you to be very careful about the way that you speak if you're a follower of his. Multiple times, three, four times in scripture. I've given you the Jesus version, but this shows up multiple times. Don't judge each other. Jesus is the judge. And if you follow Jesus, part of your faith in Jesus is that you're going to allow him to do his job. And so Jesus tells us, don't judge so that you won't be judged because you're going to receive the same judgment by which you judge others. And we see that over and over again, 1 Corinthians 4, Romans 14, multiple times. One of the things that we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus with judgment, with, with eternal judgment in mind is not be judgmental of others. 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of you may receive what is due for what he has done in the body for the good or the evil. If you are a follower of Christ, you need to be multiplying good upon the world. And lastly, Matthew 25, Jesus gives his strictest teaching about judgment in relation to how we treat people that are societally beneath us. He will reply, they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and didn't do anything to help you? And Jesus will answer, I assure you that you, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me, and they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous ones who did do the kind things for the people beneath them will go away into eternal life. Jesus has, if you're a follower of his, the way you get in is by having a relationship with him and putting your faith in him. But if you do that, he has expectations for you about how you speak, about how you judge others, about the good you're multiplying in the world, and how you treat the people that are socially beneath you. And I could list more, but these are the four that seem to be the most prominent in Jesus' teaching. Words, judgment, good, and the least of these. Jesus is going to talk to you about these things at your judgment. Peter, 2 Peter tells us, I'm wrapping up. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens and the earth will be made new. The earth and all the works done on it will be exposed, since everything will be exposed in this way. What sort of people ought you to be? What are you supposed to do? You must live holy and godly lives. 
waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. You get to participate in Jesus' return. Anything good we do ultimately comes from having Christ, the source of all goodness, love, and life abiding in us. This is what Christianity teaches. You could try to heap up a bunch of good works, but ultimately goodness comes from Jesus, and anything good that you're going to do is going to become from planted in Jesus. And if our actions aren't loving, then the Lord isn't in us. This is what Christianity is teaching to us, and that should be a good indication about your relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, what do we do? The life we live determines the judgment we receive, and Jesus wants you to rise righteous. I got questions. I'm going to save them for week four. Thank you for sending them. I got two of them. If you have any, please take some time to do that. Summing it up, Christ's return is certain and confirmed. This is something that every Christian has believed since the dawn of time. Resurrection is going to bring change, clothed in Christ, who, who, who gives us a picture of what that's going to be like as the first crop. And the life we live determines the judgment we receive based solely on our faith and relationship to Jesus. This is what we should do. Have faith in Christ. Let Christ mold us and shape us into the kind of person that he wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you that we could come together around central tenets of what you are planning to do. This is your mission that you've invited us in on. That you are bringing all of history to that point when your son returns. Help us to make that real. To feel it. We are so bombarded with our everyday lives that sometimes we lose sight of what you're doing. Your mission in the world. To bring all things to a place of goodness. To newness transformation that you're making all things become what you had originally planned for them to become good right holy loving peaceful joyful help us to keep that in mind so that we have a vision and direction about where we're heading about what you're doing about where to pour in our work and our actions lord help us and as you draw history to its final conclusion, that we would be the kinds of people that are not only helping you hasten the day, but we reflect that goodness, transformation, that hope. Your people called this hope. This is what hope means. Not optimism, but assurance in your promises that you're going to do this stuff Help us to be people who ooze this hope in a hopeless world. And for those of us who are lacking that hope, help us to feel it again. Lord, anyone who has not put their faith in Christ, who is trying to heap up or earn or their way into that new creation, into that righteous judgment, would you convict them now to turn their hearts away from that futility? that path to nowhere, that path to destruction? Would you help them to surrender to your grace, to the goodness, to the gift that you have for them that they don't have to strive. They just have to simply trust in you, your death, your resurrection, 
bring someone into their life to help them let go of earning and striving and scratching and scheming and to simply abide in you so that your Holy Spirit can get to work in them and they can feel the newness of life that you have for each and every one of us. And maybe that's right now, Lord, or in the future. Work on them. Help us to be agents to have salvation to help them through that as well. But for all of us, as we come now to this time of communion, would you continue to work in us these things of drawing us closer to you, of making us righteous and holy people, of helping us confirm our faith and trust in you. And we will give you praise and thanks. Say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.